Right, so uh, we all ready to uh, use and abuse each other, gentlemen? I think we should. Well, that's all pod, is it? Hey! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no whips and chains in this podcast. We're far too family friendly. <laughs> this isn't the BBC Light programme. <laughs> Tony Hancock Appreciation Society presents, ooh, very nearly an armful, a Tony Hancock podcast. Hello and welcome to Very Nearly an Armful, brought to you by the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. On the podcast, we'll be discussing Tony's famous series, Hancock's Half Hour. We'll discuss the show, its production and what we like about it. We rate and review the episode and just generally get our geek on about vintage comedy. We're your hosts. I'm James Griffith. I'm Martin Gibbons. I'm John Street. And I'm Tim Elms. And we're spread across the south of the UK in a line from Wiltshire to Essex via Kent. And our members are spread all over the world. We have an Alan Bennett, but not successful playwright. And we also have a Paul Young, a Neil Young and a Howard Jones. But we're not sure if any of them can sing. Well, indeed. And in this podcast, we'll be discussing The Student Prince, the 14th episode of the third radio series. It was recorded on the 15th of January and broadcast on Wednesday the 18th of January, 1956. This is one of the very few episodes where Sid gets his comeuppance for his schemes to twist Hancock. But first of all, chaps, how's everyone doing? Not too bad. Very well, thank you, James. Yes, all good, thank you. We've been having a bit of a a vintage movie binge. We've been going through this Will Hay box set that I picked up for all about £7. And uh, I'd seen them only in VHS quality before. Not that the DVD looks an awful lot better, but uh, yeah, I've been thoroughly enjoying Convict 99, I think, is a particular favourite Will Hay film. I can can very much see why old Hancock was a, a fan and... You know, the writers of Dad's Army and stuff. It just uh, interplay between him, Moore Marriott and Graham Moffat, who uh, plays the the kid. And in fact, Graham Moffat was in uh, Dr. Sin, the last film starring the Owen Duke, George Arliss. So uh, oh, that's right. quite an interesting sort of Hancocky link, I think. So what year was uh, Will Hay operating then? Well, he was operating from about early 30s through till about 43 and about a few years later he died. But he uh, he made about 19 films, two or three of them shorts, and this has nine of those films on there, so it's sort of the uh, Gainsborough Pictures years before he moved to a different studio. Oh, that's a good collection With his then, two John. studios. Yeah, it's pretty pretty good. And, uh, you know, quality stuff. They uh, Not too many of them have jokes that make you go, oh, you can't use that word these days. Yeah. The interplay between the sort of the two stooges, as it were, that he had before he moved away from them for his last few films is is just magic stuff, and uh, I'll pop a clip in so that other people can hear it. 40 years of hard work wasted on it. Look at that carpet, eh? Look at the carpet. Oh, damn the carpet. Yeah, but who's going to do it? According to my plan, they never ought to be any carpet here at all. I'll tell you what I want. I ought to be here, in the middle of the main road. Oh. All right, all right. Don't get upset about it. You've gone wrong somewhere, that's all. 
Now, uh, where did you start from? In the bathroom. Yeah. I told you not to go to the bathroom. Yes, but this was in 1897. Yeah. Oh, I see, I see. <laughs> and then you, you went along this blue line, did no, you? No, I went along the blue line before I reached the bathroom. But you say you started from the bathroom. Yes, but this was a bit I did before I commenced. Oh, now, that's ridiculous. I mean, if you commence before you start, where do you begin? In the bathroom. Yeah. Let's, let's start from the beginning and get it right. Now, in 1897, you had a bath. That's right, and in 1904, I reached a well. How do you know it was a well? I fell in. Oh, I see. So in 1904, you had another bath, eh? That's right. Yes. <clears throat> you know, th th this thing looks like Hampton Court Maze, you know. Hey, what did you turn right here for? Uh, where? In 1912. Oh, oh that's, that's when I trod on my compass. Which foot did you turn on it with? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was my left foot. Oh, dear. What does it matter which foot he trod on it with? Left foot or right foot, it's all the same, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Well, was they trying to help? Well, hold this corner, then. You help that way. Now, let's start from the beginning and let's work back from here. Now, where's the governor's office? Well, is that it? No, no. Well, it doesn't show it. Well, it must do. Oh, no wonder. Look at that. This plan was printed in 1890. Well, what difference does that make? Well, what difference does it make? Don't you know that in 1903 the prison was rebuilt? Oh, dear, oh, dear, nobody told me. Well, how could they when you're down there burrowing among the plug holes? I've been um, a little more modern than that, and after we've been talking on our last podcast about uh, our fantastic guest, Diane Morgan, for our annual dinner, uh, I decided something I neglected was to try and watch Mandy. Oh, oh yeah. Um, I only watched the first half a dozen. So funny. Uh, and it was absolutely, well, I, I couldn't stop laughing all the way. Oh. Um, the, the very first episode, uh, of course, you, you wouldn't want to watch if you have any form of arachnophobia. Um, but, uh, one, to, one to stun, <laughs> one two to, to kill, three to make sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's the one. <laughs> Just absolutely brilliant and lovely mm. little 15 minute, little 15 minutes episodes. But it's, it's laugh a minute stuff all the way through. So can't wait to finish watching that. I actually prefer that to Kunk. Uh, actually, so do I. Actually, having because yeah. I really enjoy Kunk on Britain, but um, Mandy, I think is is, is a is a yeah. is definitely a better series. Not that I mean, I like both, but you know, it's it was yeah, great. Absolutely, yeah. Got a new job. Oh, that is wonderful news, Mandy. What is it? I'm at the banana factory. I'm an arachnid control operative. What is that? Spiders long. They're coming on the bananas. It's my job to smash them. It's a very important role. Why don't they smash them at their end? I don't know, but I'm quits in here. I am so happy for you, Mandy. Can I ask you something? How exactly do you kill the arachnids? One to stun, two to kill, three to make sure. They like go, Mandy. One to stun, two to kill, three to make sure. Work all night and I drink a rum. Something terrible has happened. I really love that job, Lola. How good is it, too? Shh, dear, dear. <laughs> Never mind. It weren't my fault, though. They're really faster with these spiders. <laughs> what is the latest death toll? Seventeen. 
bad news though. I've got a phone interview in the morning. I might not mention the 17 dead. Concon Earth and Concon Britain is sort of a, a kind of, you know, witty jokes. I think this one very yeah. much is a, a good guttural belly laugh that it gives you. And I think um, one of the episodes is probably one of the last things that Sean Locke did. Um, he appears in a cameo in one episode, and you've got mm. quite a few different cameos, actually, throughout the, the, the series. I think she's done two of them and a couple of specials or something. It's, it's great that they're 15-minute episodes, isn't it? Because Ugh. that's I hadn't come across these 15-minute episodes before I'd come across this series. I don't know if it's the only one, but I think it's it stems from BBC Three, doesn't it, who, who were doing things slightly differently. But um, very, very clever. It could be. That um, stage thing with uh, David Tennant and uh, Michael Sheen, those were 15 minutes. Uh, uh, again, because it was of a, course, yes. sort of a short... Well, I think you couldn't sustain it for more than 15 minutes. That kind it's of like a TV podcast, thing. isn't it, that one? Yeah, kind of, kind of. Them playing exaggerated versions of themselves. Mm. But yeah, I think you know you can get a lot of concise stuff into 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been, um, I've always been fascinated with sort of genealogy and uh, oh. research of my family tree, and I made a bit of a breakthrough. Over well, the, the elms, our elms have got a family tree. Oh, oh really? Oh. Elms, get it? Very good, very good. Yeah. 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 I was a little bit slow to it then. <laughs> I can trace my family tree all the all the way back to when my family was still living in it. Boom, boom. <laughs> I think that's a Hancock line, isn't it? I can trace my family all the way back, back to, 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 to Rufus Hancock. Hancock. Rufus, Rufus Hancock. Hancock. Who's he? Who's that? My dad. My, my father. father. Yeah. Oh, my father, yes. <laughs> You'll never be a gentleman if you live to be a hundred. It's breeding that counts. Family background. Ah. <laughs> ah, that's where I've got it. It's breeding you want. Make no mistakes. I'm the kitty. I'm the boy. <laughs> I can trace my family all the way back to Rufus Hancock. Who was he? My father. <laughs> I don't think you quite understand what history flows through the veins. You see, standing out on me nose here. <laughs> I went, managed to get back to Robert the Bruce, King of Scotland. You're having a laugh. No, I'm not. I'm deadly serious. Uh, on my mother's side. So if Scotland gets independence, will they bring you back as their king? I'm Bonnie Prince Charlie. Bonnie Prince Charlie, yes. <laughs> I come riding in on my white Bonnie horse. Prince Sydney, more like. <laughs> I commandeer all the castles, especially this one. Goodness gracious. Scotland rejoice. He's come back. Who's come back? Let him speak for himself. Who are you? I'm Bonnie Prince Charlie the 19th. Tar, but it's Sid. I know it's Sid. I knew that as soon as I saw the cot on the end of his sword. What's he up to this time? Me being a direct descendant of Bonnie Prince Charlie, I hereby claim the throne of Scotland. And all the castles in it, especially this one. <laughs> No, I managed to, yeah, it got a bit lucky with just matching. I just, you know, I was going through, I was finding names. I was mm. going through back through marriage certificates and birth certificates. And I found one where there was just someone married a lady, Lady Fogo or something like that. And I thought, oh, Lady Fogo, that's a, that's a bit of a random one. And then I was very, it was very easy to trace her lineage back, mm. all the way back to sort of, well, 11 something. I think 11 in the, uh, no, 12th century. Yeah, well, I suppose so. Anyone who was landed gentry, the, there's more records of, and you can go yeah. back further. 
you know, the rest of us uh, plebeians, you can only get go back to about 1800, oh. can't you, really? Oh. Yeah, but I was delighted to uh, find a little bit of royalty in the blood. So, oh. uh, right, booster podcast numbers. It could be good. <laughs> what, what's, um, what's plebeian, John? Well, it's from the Latin <laughs> plebeians, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you're a scruff right. bag. Like, no, you're a scruff bag. I, I did mine, and I, I went back, and I found one of the relatives was a uh, brother of a, an ancestor of mine, was at Ebenezer Street, and his brother was Jabus. Jabus oh, really? or something. They're apparently I, they're very Jewish names, so I think they were a bunch of Jewish boat builders from the Isle of Wight or something like that. Well, well, I, I can go back to my grandfather. That's as far as I can go, and hundred percent honest, he was a tram driver. So there you are. There you go. So a bit like bit like Hancock. <laughs> my uncle started this off in the seventies, sort of researching it. But there's all sorts of strange names. Mm. I got a, a relative called Pheasant Griffith. First pheasant. name pheasant, yeah, very odd with a Z. That's not a bloke's name; that's a bird's name. <laughs> Look at Tim, you're all fire tonight. <laughs> hey. Top form tonight. Uh, Top form. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's end let's end the podcast now while we're that's it, while we're form. ahead. Yeah, <laughs> but rather disappointingly, uh, Robert the Bruce, his, his uh, son, was actually ended up being called the Lane King of Scotland. And I managed to find a track down another podcast about him just to listen to it. It sounds like he was an absolute awful human being. So uh, <laughs> I'm not, it, it suddenly took the sheen off it slightly. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I always find interesting in family history is the weird and wonderful occupations that people used to have, things like yeah. uh, portmanteau maker and lath render and things like that. And that's only going uh. back to great grandparents, you know. There's like lots of bellow makers in my family on my dad's side, sort of people making bellows. All, the all blowing hot air. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm afraid I've never really researched, so a bit like Tim, I can only go back as far as grand, mm-hmm. grandparents. I think that's as far back as I've gone. My brother and, and his wife have, have done quite a lot for our family and gone back some way, but it's a lot of painstaking work, isn't it, to go back and do it? Mm. It's quite easy with the with these genealogy websites you can get now because yeah. they've got all the records and if you pay the subscription you can kind of all the censuses that you can put yeah, two and two yeah. together with and that. But what if your ancestors didn't wear jeans? I mean what happens then? Oh, oh god, he's on fire today, isn't he? Yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah. Well you see I I've got the quite a fortunate thing of my, my grandmother unlike a lot of the rest of her family was quite the hoarder. So she has all these photographs of her parents or grandparents so my great great grandparents and i've uh, I, when I was a teenager i scanned them all in in high resolution and in fact i've got one or two of distant ancestors framed up on the wall just alongside slightly more modern photos and it's just very fascinating really and it's lovely when you get the old photos and you can sort of restore mm. them and i know john you do colorizations and things and it's amazing how you can really breathe new life into them then it is, yeah, you yeah. can, you can, and I think, you know, you can do all sorts of stuff with AI that makes slightly out of focus pictures look crisp and yeah. they're used in a lot of ways in magazines and publications on Doctor Who DVDs and Blu-rays, some of the documentaries go, oh, someone's put that through Remini uh, and things like that. <laughs> well, talk, talking about AI, as we're doing this podcast, the new Beatles song has, has been released. Um, and they, they used AI to separate out the tracks, John Lennon's voice and his piano playing, which was they'd got on a fairly ropey old cassette that Yoko had had in, in their apartment. But what, what, it, what it made me think was that, you know, if 
what they were saying was it's not until now that they've had the technology to do it. And of course, yeah. we're waiting for the technology to come along to improve Sid James' dad and, and the dying oh. episodes like that. And it made me wonder, you know, whether, you know, this sort of technology that they're using on, on music to separate out the noises and stuff, you, you, you can you can do on air the sort of things that we, we want doing, you know. Yeah, well, you can to some extent. I mean, with some of the DVD extras that Nick and I worked on for the Kaleidoscope's 1963 series, there were some things where you can kind of do a sort of a vocal enhance and you can separate speech from all other sounds. So, in fact, well, you end up with a copy of the recording, which is just say the performers but you can't hear the audience laughter because it's been cut out and then you kind of can layer different bits of it you might have restored in different ways and put it all back together again squeeze it back into that tube of toothpaste well so, get, get yeah. on to those ropey episodes then john and let's, let's have some decent versions of them when i when i have a minute i should play <laughs> at the moment i've got a, i've got a parcel for, full of real to real takes from me that i still need to Pop on the old Akai and uh, playback. So, and I've got two parcels of tapes to give to you to add to your collection. Oh, so, uh, yeah. I'd be swimming in yeah. tape. Golly. Yeah. Well, what have I been doing this week? I've been uh, watching a bit of telly, as I sometimes do. And uh, what I was catching up with the other day, something I haven't seen for donkeys years. It's not the first thing that comes to mind when you think of vintage comedy, and that's Ooh. Man About the House. Ah, uh-huh. there, there was a Talking Heads documentary about it on Channel Five. But I, I watched that, and the reason this documentary has just been made is that the series has just turned 50 years old, so it's now officially vintage, coming out in uh, 1973. There's episodes of it on ITVX, and I started uh, watching some of them. It's um, it's it's, it's actually quite good going. I mean, I, I think used to, we used to think it was a bit cheesy back in the day, and, and it probably still is, but um, it's, it's quite an interesting uh, series. It features... Richard O'Sullivan, of course, with uh, the two girls, Paula Wilcox and Sally Thompson. And it was also a vehicle for Uther Joyce and Brian Murphy, who were the uh, landlord and landlady. Of yeah, they're, the, they're the ones who are remembered, aren't they? Because yeah. they had a spin-off series, yes. didn't they? Was this what, what originated them? Georgia Mildred. Georgia Mildred. Yeah. 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 Oh. Girls, can I take you up on that kind offer? Oh, I see. On the rebound, are we? Mm, well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I'm for anyone who can cook like that and does the washing up. Washing up? Washing up. Washing up. It's a deal. Uh, <laughs> Any messing about and we take you straight round to the vet. Right, fair enough. <laughs> They're still a bit, bit damp round the prospect of Whitby. Yeah? <laughs> Look, you can move in when you like because the room's empty. Right. Well, uh, sorry to barge in again like this, ladies, but the wife and I are having a little disagreement over a certain matter of sex. Oh, you want to borrow a book? <laughs> no. No. Uh, we're here about that young man, George. <laughs> there he is. Him? Oh, no, 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 he's not the one I, uh, I, uh... No, definitely not. This is our landlord. He's always doing that. How do you do? I'm I'm Robin Tripp and I should be moving in here. Yeah, no, the one I saw had completely different... You'll be doing no such thing. <laughs> no? What, a fella moving in with two birds? I suppose you thought I wouldn't realise dressed up like that. Oh, look, it would be purely platonic. I don't care what he... What's that mean? <laughs> like you and me, George. <laughs> I don't believe it. Anyway, I'm not having it. Neither would he be. <laughs> 
Very well, I'll put my trousers on. Oh, well, if you must, you must. <laughs> there you are. But the, one of the interesting things about, what well, is is Sally Thompson was in it, and uh, she is on Twitter now. And, uh, in fact, she replied to one of my tweets a couple of years ago to say that she was a massive Hancock fan. And I haven't reached it yet, but in one of the episodes of Man About the House, the three of them are standing there, and one of them, I think it's Paul Wilcox's character, is actually holding a copy of the LP with the blood donor and the radio ham on. Oh, oh nice. brilliant. And uh, I, I did take a screenshot of it on one occasion. I, I tried to find it recently, but I couldn't find it. So I, I think you may have sent that to me or something, something similar yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. But it's quite funny because uh, Sally Thompson comes to prominence a year or two before that program in an advert for Bovril. And uh, I think before that, she'd been in the Railway Children. And I, I hadn't realised that, is it Jenny Agatha plays the older of the two girls in the, ra- in the Railway Children and Sally Thompson's the little sister. But in real life, Sally Thompson was older than Jenny Agatha. She was, she was 20-something playing a, a child. And it was in her contract that she wasn't allowed to be seen out with her boyfriend and stuff like that. They didn't want it to leak out that she was that older. But in, in the Bovril really? ad, I remember it from years ago, She's a young girl standing outside the cinema waiting for her boyfriend who doesn't turn up. And her mum sorts of old, oh, don't worry, come home for a cup of bovril, that'll cheer you up. And uh, she drinks this cup of bovril and the, the tagline is, he's got big ears anyway. How's that boyfriend of yours, Jill? He's all right, mum. Sure. Yes, I told you. Nutritious, reviving. Bring them back with Bovril. He's got big ears anyway. And that Oof. became a national institution back in the 70s. I remember that Ooh. very well. And uh, it, it, it actually used that line in one of the episodes of Man About the House when she had a, a boyfriend that let her down or something. But that's a, that's, that's a great little series, that. And uh, Paula Wilcox, of course, is uh, is still very active. And Ooh. was it... um. Last of Summer Wine she was in, something like that, and she's been in various things. She pops up. Yeah, I know she's quite a, a, a appears quite regularly, doesn't she? Yes, yeah, and I think she was she was one of the talking heads on the documentary, um, sitting Ooh. alongside Brian Murphy. One one of the things I took about ITVX, one of the things that is I've just discovered is on ITVX, haven't watched any of it yet, is uh, the complete and utter history of Britain. Um, I mean, they did release Ooh, yes. a DVD of the only two episodes that were believed to survive. A few years back, but some yeah. the rest the whole series has now been discovered, miscatalogued or misfiled in the ITV archive, and they've just made it all available on ICVX. So I'm looking forward to to sitting down and watching that. That's with um, uh, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, uh, the creators. I think it's on BritBox as well. I think they've put it on BritBox. I think they have. Yeah, and then yeah. it's got people like Wallace Eaton in as well. All six episodes are now are now available yeah. to watch on ITVX. So that's top of my next things to watch list. Oh, it's good plan. It's amazing how these things keep turning up. My name is Thomas, and I make wheels. And I'm therefore known as Thomas, the wheelwright. Where have you been, Your Majesty? Where have I been? Not 
telling. Well, I'm sorry to say that we must temporarily suspend our history at this point. We've had one or two petty complaints to the effect that it's neither complete nor utter. Things do, and you know, because uh, there, there, there's. Um, what it's called give me two seconds to get my brain working um i think it'll take longer than that john yeah it will today i was like can you hear uh, all those cogs there's some sort of clanking yeah, going on in yeah. the background yeah i think it needs a tin of three in one i hope we're going to cut this pause out of the edit now, this is a <laughs> hancockian pause isn't it really yes guess what <laughs> Don't you start. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. The organisers of Film is Fabulous, a convention working in conjunction with specialist researchers at Leicester's De Montfort University Cinema and the Television History Institute found film prints of, um, well, gosh, Hugh and I and Sykes and A and things like that quite recently. And yeah, so... Stuff stuff yep. keeps appearing. Who knows? Maybe they'll announce a lost Doctor Who just in time for the 60th anniversary. But uh, I'm not holding out much hope. No, I'd forgotten that, but I, I remember seeing that now that they found this Hugh and I and Sykes. Doctor Who, isn't it, a, isn't it a pity you can't go back in time and get one? It's just a shame, isn't it? Yeah, if only you had a work in TARDIS. <laughs> I haven't even got a blue shed, so... Sorry, Martin, <laughs> I interrupted you for that little gag. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's right, we'll just go back in time and re-record that bit. <laughs> well, exactly. So then, uh, I guess it's uh, time for some Hancock headlines. We got any uh, headlines that we want to mention this week, Martin? Well, a couple of things I think we should mention. This podcast is due for release on the 9th of December, and if you're very quick, we'll be at Riverside Studios in London this afternoon for our Christmas special. So we'll be showing Ericsson the Viking and Hancock's 43 Minutes, and Tim and I will be uh, introducing the episodes and hosting a, a Q&A afterwards. Uh, so we'd love to see you there. It's two o'clock uh, start at the Riverside Studios in Hammersmith. And if you go to www.riversidestudios.co.uk, uh, you'll be able to find your tickets there. The other thing that we mentioned on our last podcast, and we've got to mention it again, haven't we? It's <laughs> the fantastic recovery of A Visit to Swansea, the only Hancock's Half Hour to feature Tony and Harry Seacombe. None of us on the podcast have heard it yet, and uh, we know that it's uh, been or being restored, um, and we're obviously hopeful of a broadcast at some future date, so we will keep listeners up to date as soon as we hear any more. But uh, fantastic news, another episode of uh, Hancock's Half Hour recovered, once again by Richard Harrison of the Radio Circle, uh, the same gentleman who found uh, a marriage bureau uh, which was broadcast, goodness, 2022, wasn't it? That was uh, mm, October yeah. 22 when that was actually on Radio 4. That's a whole year since that came out. Yes. Yeah. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but, if, you know, no pressure on Richard, but if he can manage one a year, we you know, we, yeah, we'd be very happy. Yeah, fantastic. We'd all, we'd right, all be very yeah. happy, thank you. Well, quite, <laughs> quite nice as well. This is one from the somewhat underrepresented Series 2. I think of all the Series, Series 2 is the one with the least episodes that still exist. I don't know, presumably there was some reason they didn't keep those for overseas transcription services, repeats and things like that. But good to have one more out of that handful of 15 of which I know what seven exists, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Are these are like original, do we know if they're, um, obviously it's original recording, but 
Is it a different script at all if it's for transcription abroad or if it's transcription at home? Do we know that? So this this will be a recording of an original broadcast because none okay. of the Series 2, I don't think any of the Series 2 made it to transcription services. I, mm. I might be wrong. We'll have to check that. Yeah. I think that's right. I think what happened with transcription services was that they took, I mean, they took the goons at about Series 5, I think, which yeah. is why so little survives before mm. Series 5. And the same with Hancock, they 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 took. Um, they, in fact, they did do some first series ones on the transcription service, but uh, they they will they effectively take a UK broadcast, edit it down to about twenty six, twenty seven minutes, so the space for overseas broadcast to add adverts mm. and to take out topical references that will only be known by a, a British audience. So, a lot of, well, in fact, almost all of the first series episodes that survive in the BBC archives come from original transcription service discs. Okay. It wasn't it in the early 90s that the very first episode was discovered because that wasn't one, I think, for, for transcription. That's right. I don't right. quite know where that was recovered from, possibly misfiled in a filing cabinet at the BBC. But It is quite possible. Yeah. I had an email recently from um, one of our members, William McCallaghan, who's not too well at the moment, and he's as consequently he's been... Uh, watching a lot of TV, but he said that one of the things he watched was um, Heartbeat. You remember Heartbeat? Um, it used to be on Sunday night. um... That's right. Well, the the whole... I mean, I I can see the whole... every episode on BritBox. I don't know how William watches it. But he was saying that there is a Hancock reference in the very first episode. And uh, they're looking for... they're looking for a suspicious character who's been knocking around this little village where they are. And the landlord of the pub said, oh, he's an outsider. He sounds like that character in Hancock's Half Hour, the one with the Australian accent. Did So, ref- oh. reference to Bill. So, that, that was oh, how he... okay. That's how he describes this uh, person they're looking for. So, uh, when William told me that, I rushed to the TV and put it on to watch it. And uh, it was there. So, uh, yeah, nice little reference. Because Bill Maynard, it was, who played Greengrass. That's right. That was in a lot yep. of 60s, 70s comedy, wasn't he? He was in a couple of carry-ons in, um, I think, the Alf Garnet film. He had his own sitcom, didn't he? I think he probably did. He had did. his own sitcom. What was it called now? Oh, um, it was a strange name, wasn't it? Oh, no. It's Selwyn Froggit. Selwyn Froggit. That's it. Uh, That's it. Yeah. Goodness, I'd forgotten that. Oh, yeah. What was it called? Oh, no, it's oh, Selwyn no, Froggit. Selwyn, Selwyn Froggit, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, goodness. And it had one of these, one of these jaunty theme tunes that um, was uh, sung by a, I don't know, it sounded like a, a folk group of some kind. Um, uh, I, I, won't, I won't attempt to do it. But, uh, yeah. If, yeah, go if on, Tim, you want to try tonight. I'm sure John can ukulele. find it, put a clip in. <laughs> Selwyn's gone berserk, never mind. With his committee work, never mind. Selwyn's day when they let him have his say, but he's better out the way. So he was also uh, with Terry Scott in Great Scott, it's Maynard for a series right. from 55 to 56, but I don't expect that that exists anymore. No, no, was that an ATV well? None of it remains, and it was a BBC one. Oh, right, okay. It had Hugh Lloyd in it as well. And Pat Coombs. And Dennis Chinnery. All, oh, well, all, the, all the links in there. Yeah. 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 Well, it's about the same time as the Hancock TV series, isn't it? 
Yeah. And I had a tweet from uh, Julian Dutton back on the uh, 2nd of November. I sent out a tweet because it was the anniversary of the first ever episode of Hancock's Half Hour on the radio. And uh, with that tweet, I attached uh, a picture taken from the Radio Times, you know, which was saying, you know, it's on tonight, blah, blah. There's a couple of interesting things about the Radio Times entry. I think we probably covered this before. But first of all, it says the theme music is by Stanley Black, yes. which, of course, it wasn't because he became ill shortly before the program went out and they had to get uh, Wally Stott in at the last moment to do it. And uh, Radio Times already gone to print, so it's too late to change it. Mm. But the other thing, it describes Hancock as the lad himself. And that's the earliest reference that I can find of Hancock being called the lad himself. Now, what Julian Dutton was saying, and I, I know we, I've discussed this with Julian before, he is convinced that the term the lad himself was used by musical artists in the years before Hancock. And that Gordon and Simpson used it for Hancock as sort of satirising it. Like dressing him up like the actor manager with the Homburg hat and the coat, isn't it? Satirising that whole thing. I I thought he might have been called the lad himself in um, Calling All Forces or some of those other programmes he was in, but can't find any evidence whatsoever, nor can we find any copies of billboards or handbills or whatever of any comedian or musical star using the term that ad himself. Now, Julian is quite convinced that this is the case. So if anyone listening to this podcast has got anything from the old musical days that refers to anyone being called the lad himself, we'd love to hear from them. Well, he made it, yeah. really made it his own, didn't he? Yes, he did. And apparently Benny Hill used it as well in later years. I, I hadn't realised that. But no, I didn't realise Benny Hill used that. Yeah. I think that was in, in the 60s or something. People on Twitter said that. But uh, I, I, no, I, I, I hadn't been aware of that. But certainly to me, that I didn't, there was only one lad himself, and that's Hancock. That's right. The other interesting thing I thought about the Radio Times is I think Tony is described as a waif. A waif, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, he is yeah. Uh, described as that because they have a little cast list of describing the type of character that each, each one is. Each person yeah. is, yeah. And, yeah. and for Sid, it says a friend, question mark. Yes. <laughs> um, when you Google the lad himself, um, I don't know, I didn't know, well, perhaps I do, but there looks like there's a document, documentary in 1980 called The Lad Himself. Yeah. Was that, was ah, it? that was a drama starring yes. Peter Corey. Peter Corey, Yes, it. Peter Corey, yes. Which was a little half-hour thing set in a dressing room just before recording The Blood Donor, but I think the reviews from the people who ran the society back in 1980 thought it was quite historically inaccurate in terms yeah, of okay. showing Hancock in his decline in what arguably was not. <laughs> Tony Hancock gently fingered the bruising under his left eye today and said, we will have to write this into the show next week. A boxing routine or something. Mrs. Hancock was driving up Brixton Hill when stones flew from the roadworks, zipped up, zipped up the low-slung bonnet of their Cambridge blue Mercedes-Benz sports car and struck cowling round the windscreen. Said Tony, Sis swerved and we hit some road obstruction signs. We had just had safety belts fitted to the car, but like chumps, we didn't strap them round ourselves. <laughs> I must have been out for some while. Call it Hancock's half hour. 
We are both quite all right now. What's wrong with international star defies gravity, eh? In the early hours of yesterday morning, the angel of death knocked at Hancock's door, but he was out. Tony Hancock, known to millions as a genius, was tirelessly pursuing his jet-setting life when fate tried to overtake him on the inside. There. What's wrong with that? Poetic without being ostentatious. Beats we are both quite all right now, anyway. A lot of these dramas are, are inaccurate, which is uh, the problem with them, isn't it? It's a one man sort of passion project, really. And yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we've got quite a good copy because Peter Corey's brother sent us a copy recently on DVD, <laughs> so uh, that's rather nice. So then, I guess it's uh, time for the main subject, The Student Prince. Um, this is a, obviously a wonderful parody of the, the 1950s film with the songs of Mary Lanza, or the voice of Mary Lanza, if not in person. It isn't really a parody, though, is it? It's, it doesn't follow the story. No, no. Because no, no, um, the story is a romance, isn't it? The... It is. I think so. A prince sends abroad. Yeah, yeah it's quite a complicated story. I'm not an ex... I'm, I've never watched it or whatever, but... Uh, does the script call it the student prince, or was it Wilmot called it that for references? I've got the script open. I'll have a look. Uh, <laughs> it's it's very uh, imaginatively called Number Fourteen Third Series. Yeah, yeah. I, this, I think this is a Wilmot title because it's it's the one that springs to mind because the songs from the film are in it. Yeah, that's the play he's going to perform, and, and he's it? going to perform it. Yeah, but it, but the story of the episode is not the same as the story of the film, so it's not really apparent. No one gets blown up in the student prints then. <laughs> uh, no, no, not I'd in much the, rather not see in that the real version. one. <laughs> I just thought it was fascinating there looking at it because although it was a 1950s film, it was based on a, a, a sort of late 1800s, 1898, yeah. I think, novel by Carl Henrik. And it was a remake, wasn't it? The original film was in the twenties. That's right, yes. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Mark Mario Lanza actually sings, but and Edmund Purdom mimes to all the songs. And I, I don't know, yeah. does anyone know why Mario Lanza wasn't used? He he, he walked off set and was sacked. Yeah, oh, he had a big really? disagreement, but they contractually had his songs already, so... Yeah, yeah. And he was a better singer. I mean, he was a... He, he was a very famous opera singer and a tenor and everything, and uh, yes. he, he was clearly the one to do it. So they, they kept his uh, voice in. He was a bit of a heartthrob, wasn't he, I think? I think uh, oh, I think he was, yeah. yeah I think it's yeah. fascinating they're looking at they're listening to the episode because when Tony says, I'm not going to Moravia, and Sid says, well, we'll get someone else then. Oh, Mario Lanza or Harry Seacombe. Harry Seacombe. Yeah, yeah, Harry Seacombe, yeah. I noticed that as yeah. well. I specially asked for you. It's a wonderful part. <laughs> What's a wonderful part? But, well, never mind. I'll get somebody else. Mario Lanza, Harry Seacombe. They wouldn't be so good in it as you. Just, just, just a minute, just a minute. What, what part are you talking about? So a nice little nod to the original film with uh, mentioning yeah. of Mario Lanza there. And that only a few episodes earlier, Harry Seacombe was in the show, of course. You know, uh, so another oh. little sort of nod to that. So has anyone watched the actual student prints? Nope. No. no. That's a rabbit hole I haven't gone down it. I was contemplating, but I just looked, I read the story, and I was like, "Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I can put myself through this." Yeah, I remember. I remember when I was a kid, my my mum had the record. It's funny because the film was brought out in '54, but this episode is is what '56, isn't it? '56, yes, Jan '56. It's not as though it's topical, mm. but 
I was trying to figure out why they might talk about, although it's not a parody, why they might do something like this. So many months theory. after the film. Well, the theory I've got, and see what yours is, but my theory is that um, because the music that come out from the film was a bestseller insofar as we have bestsellers in those days mm. because record players were very expensive. But I, I should think that every time you switched on the radio in those days, you'd have got Marion Enza. And my mum was certainly a huge fan. And she had the record, but the, the record that my mum had didn't come out until 1959. So um, anyway, what's your theory, James? Well, my theory is probably rather more basic. That I, I, th- I think that in the early years, in the series ones, I, I got a feeling that Golden Simpson probably had loads and loads of ideas for episodes. Yeah. I don't think they were quite brave enough to put them on in the first two series because I think they thought that maybe it's a little bit of a dip away and it because it's quite a radical storyline really isn't it it's yeah it's very different to yeah most other episodes and i think once they built the confidence and established the characters because i don't think it would have been funny if this was in what well, it might have been but it might not have been as well portrayed in the first mm. series and i think they thought well we'll we'll save that we'll part of that and i reckon i think they i, I don't don't know but i think they probably done that with quite a few episodes when you look at some of the classic ones later on, mm-hmm. they think that... It's an interesting theory, but the story I always tell is that from, from interviews of Gordon and Simpson, I mean, I'm sure there were exceptions, but generally speaking, they started every Monday morning with a clean sheet of paper. Okay, well, that's like mm-hmm. Goldra Burton then. Well, no, because I, I think... <laughs> I, 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 what we also know is they have bits and pieces of unfinished work, which is mm-hmm. why those little trilogies that we know and love became so popular. You know, these. They stitched together different things, like the one that you like, James. The episodes. East, yeah, yeah, the East, East, Team Team Centen- East Team Drama Festival and the others like that, they started off as bits and pieces. And it, it's a bit like how um, musicians do bits and pieces and then all of a sudden they string them together in an album or something like, uh, you know, like, like the Beatles did on Sgt. Pepper and things like that. Oh. So... Um, I mean, the short answer is, of course, we don't know. We're just theorising. But um... well, when, when I was reading the synopsis for the actual student prince, and obviously it's a love story about a young prince who gets sent away. He's meant to marry someone who's been assigned to him, effectively meet someone while he's away. And I was waiting, reading about the synopsis for his his wife to try to kill him or something. Like that. <laughs> but that does yeah. not happen. Definitely doesn't happen. No, it's going to be happen. Happen. No, this is going to be a good twist. Again, husband dear, it's not a coronet, it's the pin of a bomb. Hey? Oh, you didn't suspect that your wife was trying to get rid of you, did you? You didn't think I was the assassin they've all been searching for? Madam, there's some mistake. I'm just a strolling player, a mere mummer. I didn't to know. I've kill you for years. I love some of the names they come up with here in this. Um, Baron von Klappersberg being a, a, a great one, obviously, and they... Mm. They have the fictional country Moravia, yeah. which is the generic European name for a country that Golden Simpson used in quite a lot of their episodes. It crops up repeatedly, doesn't it? Yeah, and they used it in The um, the Diplomat, which was the TV yeah. episode that was never made. It got some mothball because of the, the Suez crisis at the time. Yeah. I hadn't made that connection, so I didn't realise they did that. All right, interesting. Of course, this one's... That slight bit longer, 30 minutes and 30 seconds, I think the previous more edited version runs to about 30 minutes and 10 seconds. So you've got an extra 20 seconds there, and you can hear it in the collectibles version 
Well, yes, in the first couple of minutes. That's it. The quality dips a little bit, doesn't it? When, yeah. when he's yeah. talking to the Baron. I want you to do something that will help our crown prince. I'm sorry, I don't know, Grace Kelly. <laughs> that is not what I meant. On Wednesday next, our beloved Prince Ferdinand is due to be crowned King of Moravia. But there are people in our country who would do anything rather than see this happen. It is certain they would try to assassinate the prince on his coronation day. We need to perhaps explain here to people who haven't got these that the versions you hear on BBC Sounds are these sort of shorter versions, if you like. And for several episodes, we've got extended versions on the Hancock's Half Hour Collectibles CD box set. So uh, yep. just like last week when we listened to Fred's Pie Stall, there was an extended version. There's a slightly extended version of this as well. This one being more noticeable because of the dipping quality. Um, yeah. But one of those little extra bits, and, and it must be a topical reference, I tried sort of having a look up to see if I could see anything, but I couldn't. But he's saying, uh, you know, it wasn't me that shipped those 400 tractors to your enemy last week. I'm here on behalf of my government. Well, I'm sorry, it wasn't me who shipped those 400 farm tractors to your enemies last week. <laughs> I'm afraid there's... So help me, I didn't know they were loaded. Mr. James, I don't know what... On the crates it said Valentine's. I thought they were greetings cards. <laughs> My dear Mr. James, let me explain why I'm here. Yeah, I, I had a look at that. And I wanted 400 oh. farm tractors. No, no well, there's, yeah. there's, there's a line in the script that's cut out when Kenneth Williams says, we're not, we're not talking about tanks. So I did a bit of Googling, and it mentions Valentine, and during the war there was a tank called a Valentine tank. Um, oh, now I, I, I think, see. I think what happened, and I can't find any reference to it except to one very, very recent, when one of these tanks was converted into a farm tractor. Now, I wonder whether back in the day there was some story about it's quite feasible that something like tanks from the war afterward would be converted into other things. Um, yes. So the joke here is that um, he, he, you know, Sid has sent them some farm tractors but in reality they're tanks and, and the guns are still loaded um oh. that's, what, that's why he says the guns are still loaded but the, the line go. that says i'm not talking about tanks was actually up from even extended because they said it's a strange name to have for a tank normally they're called i don't know um, chieftain or something aren't they you know but centurion you know, yes indeed yeah something a valentine tank doesn't sound quite right does it but uh, no. there's a few th there's a few theories on our good friend Wikipedia about what why it should be called that. But I know you said um, there's a bit there that wasn't in the episode that's in the script, but actually if you read the script through, considering we've got what presumably is an original edit length now, and it, it must be at the length we've got it, there's quite yeah. a bit in the script that didn't make yeah. it. I reckon, yeah. I reckon if the, all the script was performed, it would probably come to 35, 40 minutes. It's quite surprising. Well, they do pack quite a lot into this one. There's yeah, a, it is a lot, isn't it? Heavily plotted by them. Oh yeah, there's so much, um, so much going on. But I love the name, as you say, Baron von Klappersberg. And I noticed in the script that it tells Kenneth how to play it. Um, it says for him to play Ooh. it in the style of Anton Walbrook. Oh, right. Oh. Who was an Austrian actor? I mean, he was active in films from the silent days right through to the late fifties. Mr. Sidney James. That's right. <laughs> My name is Baron von Klappersberg. 
I am the Moravian ambassador to London. I understand you are a man who, for a reasonable price, is prepared to accept certain jobs with no questions asked. Well, no, not me. I do ask questions. I'm going to ask one now. How much are you paying? He, he was mentioned in an episode somewhere, wasn't he? He is. comes up. I can't remember which one it is. No, neither can I, but it definitely comes up in another one. He definitely yeah. does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, Kenneth's accent on that is just brilliant. It's really good, isn't oh. it? Oh. Yeah. It's one of his strongest performances, I think. He's in quite a lot in this episode, isn't he? Oh. He is, yes. As is Sid. Yeah, when, and obviously, oh. Ke- you know, Kenneth... I, I, what I really like in the early part of it is when the audience very much cottons on to exactly what's going to happen yeah, and starts yeah, giggling before yeah, the joke. Yeah, well, do you know what? Yeah. I, I, I listen to I bet to Hancock that. is reacting to that, isn't he? Uh, well, I, yeah. I see. I've, in, uh, you sort of hear them laugh and thinking, oh, this uh, this is going to be Hancock. And then the laughter really gets a lot yeah, louder. Yeah. And you, I can just imagine Hancock sitting in the back row, yeah. on, you know, on the stage because he's stage, not at the yeah. mic. Pointing yeah. to himself, saying, me, yeah, yeah, can't yeah. you? Because it, it suddenly erupts into much louder laughter. Yeah. Just reacting in indignation where they describe oh. him as a, he's a short, fat, walks a bit like a flat-footed duck. Footed duck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know someone just like that. Like right. that. Just someone just like that. A little oh. bit dim. We must find a stand-in for the prince at the coronation. Someone who looks just like him. Then, when our enemies try to assassinate him, we will be ready for them. They will be crushed. The danger will be past, and the prince can safely take his rightful place upon the throne. Very good. But where do I come in? You must find a double for us. Preferably someone who's not too intelligent. Someone who won't suspect what we are doing. <laughs> and someone who will not realize the danger he is walking into. I leave it to you to make up some story to tell him so that he won't suspect anything. Yes. Tell me, uh, what does the prince look like? Here is a photograph of him. Oh, darling. It's amazing. The resemblance. He looks just like a bloke I know. <laughs> the, the prince is short, fat, and I know his highness will forgive me. He walks rather like a flat-footed duck. <laughs> One thing about that opening scene, though, it's three minutes long without Ooh. Hancock in it. It's just um, it is. Kenneth and Sid talking to each other. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's completely the, random start, isn't it? Yeah, just pops yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Where's he come from? How did he find out about Sid? And then yeah. to 20, do this pounds. job, 20 grand, which by today's money is about half a million. I mean, you know, frightening. Well, I was looking yeah. this up because you were saying it's sort of that 30 times and apparently now it's about 42 times if you, from about 1950. Oh, so really? I think it, it works out. So he's, he gets 20,000 for for it, yep. which is probably in excess of 800,000 pounds now. Yeah. And uh, he gives Tony a five other job, seven and six expenses. So a five of the job would be about 200 quid out of his yeah. 800,000 that he's got. <laughs> so Sid's making a killing here, really, yeah. isn't he? That makes a change. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not me. I do ask questions. I'm going to ask one now. How much are you paying? 20,000 pounds. A very good answer. I'll do it. <laughs> now listen carefully. As you know, Moravia is a very small country in Central Europe. Go on. I want you to do something that will help our crown prince. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, probably the biggest fee that uh, is in, it, in any of the episodes, isn't it? Mm. But uh, Hancock, of course, is having none of it and says, no, I'm not going. But I loved it. There's a bit in the script which didn't end up in the in the episode. Um, 
where he says, I'm not going to Moravia and that's that. Uh, and Tony says, I've had my holidays. I went to Hove. Mm. And then right. Sid says, no, you went to Brighton. Um, how dare you? I did not. My lodgings were on the borderline. If I stood on tiptoe, pulled my stomach in and pressed me back flat up against the wall of the airing cupboard, I was in Hove. And that's how I stayed for a fortnight. Nobody's <laughs> going to say I went to Brighton. But of course, that was a lovely look back to a few episodes earlier for the winter holiday. Yeah, yeah. And I don't yeah. recall any other. We always talk about lack of consistency and continuity. Mm. This is an amazing bit of continuity looking back. Mm. Yeah. The other, another interesting one is that they give one of those misremembered sort of quotes to Sid rather than Hancock in this one. And he says about, you know, when they do Joe Macbeth at Elsinore Castle in Palestine, which it's I'm Denmark. fairly sure. It's in Denmark. It's not in Palestine. Well, no, but Sid says it's in Palestine. Yes, but in That's the script I mean. it says Denmark. Yeah, and it, it is, is in right. Denmark. It's, yeah. Oh, interesting. It's in the, yeah. yeah. And of course, the other thing is Joe Macbeth is a film which start, which had in it as Banquo Sidney James doing his ah, best gangster right. American. And I right. imagine that was before this. I remember seeing it years ago when I was doing secondary school and we were doing all the, you know, the Scottish play. And I was like, yeah, I've seen this film called Joe Macbeth. It's got Sid James in it. It's the best version <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> Joe Macbeth is a 1955 film, so just the year before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Ooh. fascinating. Well, Sid, ghostly as Banquo in it. What is it? What gives? you got to come quick, Mac. Well, not now, not right now, now, Mac. What's wrong? Dutch is Marva trying to move in. They've already taken over three of our places. A banky, I get The Duke is waiting, Mac. I'll be right down. How late do you think we'll be out, Pop? Looks like an all-night job. Mac's really living it up. Yeah. Lucky guy. Someday I'd like this. You know, Pop, by rights, you should be living here. After all, you were with the Duke before Mac came along. He had no right picking him instead of you. Don't you even think like that. But why did he change Denmark to Palestine? Maybe that came out in rehearsals, and it'd be funnier if you say the wrong country. Don't yeah, know. yes, sir. Oh. Yeah. Or maybe he just didn't have his reading glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's so much more realistic than using a little stage and painted scenery. Do it in the natural setting, like they... Well, like they do Joe Macbeth at Elsinore Castle in Palestine every year. <laughs> My word. Hey? Yes, that sounds very good. Yes, and I wanted you to play the lead. Still, if you don't want to do it... Uh, just, just, always... just, just a minute. What play are they doing? Hey? Uh, oh, the student prince. Oh. Hmm. And me, I, I suppose That's I... That's it. You're playing the prince. Yes. Yes, I suppose so. <laughs> It's quite funny to have the rock. It almost feels like the clocks go the wrong way when Sydney uh, comes undone and Hancock mm. comes out a bit relatively unscathed and sort of blissfully unaware. Yeah. It's a complete twist to the usual, mm. isn't it? But isn't it? A, is, it's, it's a, I would think of this one as a real rip-roaring laugh all the way through with, with Sid just always being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, well yeah, I made a list Seven times. I, I made a list of seven. Is that right? Well, he gets blown up in the car. Yeah. He's on a balcony collapse. <laughs> he gets poisoned. Poisoned, by the yeah. There were also two falling chimney pots and the sandbags out of the helicopter, which we just hear referenced. He gets bombed again 
and then he gets shot. So, <laughs> yeah, quite a few times, one of which is, <laughs> or two of which are only referenced as opposed to you hear them. Still, it's a lovely place. Yeah, it was a pity about the balcony collapsing, though, just as you were waving to the crowd. <laughs> yes, poor old Sid. <laughs> the only one who didn't step back in time. Still, I rang the hospital. He's all right. He's only got concussion. They're letting him out in time for the banquet tonight. Very unlucky, he is. Just not his day at all, is it? Especially after copping the two falling chimney pots and the sandbags from the helicopter. <laughs> well, that's the way it goes. And did that include the second bomb when um, he's, when Bill says, oh, Sid's having trouble with his car, he's blown a gasket? Oh, I might, I might, oh I'm not sure. Might, might have, so it might, might be, be another one then. Might be, might be eight. It's, like, it's a lot to, but to come through a lot. unscathed. And then, of course, at the very end, oh, go on, spoiler alert, at the very end, oh. of course, he cops the lot at uh, the Chatham Empire. Yes, walking behind the stage after all of <laughs> that gunfire from the troops. White light blossoms on the bow. but the song of a bird. Oh, the air with music. Oh. <laughs> tub, tub, ring down the curtain. Come off, quick. Don't worry, they haven't touched me. I know, but Sid was walking across the stage behind the scenery and popped the lock. But with his plaster on. He's still got his plasters mm. on his legs. Yes. And it's a great Mickey take because obviously Hancock did go and do various things to entertain the troops. So it's sort of taking the Mickey. And I suppose it's the fact that he's doing a, a musical because uh, it was often joked that he couldn't really sing. And I think that's largely true, to be honest. Well, and because I, I think um, there was one bit when he's, he's saying, well, the crowds are brilliant. And he says, I never got treated like this when I played Buttons in Woolwich, which, of course, mm. is a real reference. Cause he and played- he did sing. He played, yes, as he played um, Buns in Cinderella at Woolwich 49 to 50 at the Royal Artillery Theatre. And he had to lead the audience singing in what was it? Chick, 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 chicken, lay a little egg for me. And he hated every minute of it. So well, I think I think there was definitely a reference back to that because of the singing side in this uh, in this episode. Oh, here, you better put this uniform on. What, dress rehearsal started already? Hey, Sid, the cars are waiting for us. All right, now that's yours, Hancock. The open one in front with a big chauffeur. Thank you, my man. Ah, this is the life. I never got treated like this when I played Buttons in Woolwich. I think he hated that song, but not the singing. I, he, he did, because he did a solo spot in Wings, didn't he? When he came on stage. I mean, Wings was a... I'm a hero to my mum, wasn't it? He that's used it. To I'm a hero that's to it. my mum. That's it. And mm. Wings yes. was a massive show with a cast of 300 uh, that went to quite big theatres around the country. And he had to go out front and do a solo in that. And then when he was in those shows with uh, Jimmy Edwards in, in the West End and that, he, he did solo spots in that and, and sung in the, uh, you know, he sung the songs, sang the songs that everyone has to sing in those mm-hmm. sorts of shows and, and, did yes. solo, and did solo spots as well. So I think him to be an entertainer, particularly, you know, in the sort of post-war years and pre-war years, you had to do a bit of everything. He's not known for his singing, but uh, no. I think he got by. Got perhaps by. it was just um, perhaps it was just the the fact that it was panto because I know yeah, he yeah. wasn't. Yeah, he really wasn't keen on panto. Absolutely not. No. But I thought it was lovely that Ryan Allen put that in the script, which was mm. a, a real reference mm. back. 
And of course, you get a reference to Bill's film, you know, it's like, I've been worked hard all year, work. Three minutes in the Dam Busters, and that was your lot. Gratitude, gratitude. It's the first bit of work you've done for a year. I beg your pardon, I did a bit of work last year. Work. Three minutes in the Dam Busters, and that was your lot. <laughs> Exhausted. Didn't know Bill was in the Dam Busters. You're not alone, neither did anybody else. <laughs> I turned round, asked somebody for a light, and he'd been on and gone. Well, what part did Bill play? I don't know, the bomb, I think. I wasn't looking. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's <laughs> a wonderful little exchange. Yeah, every, every time I hear that, and when people talk about it on Twitter, I always say that that same gag crops up in another episode. Ah, OK, so shoot. this is the second time that gag's appeared. So this then. is the second yeah. time with, oh. with Andre, so... And yeah. I have a, I wouldn't surprise me if there's a third one in there somewhere, but I can't think off the top of my head. It might have been in, um, what was the one he did before Hancock's Half Hour? Not Calling All Forces, the other Star one. Star Bill. Bill. Star, Star Bill. Bill. It, it might Maybe. go back to Star Bill. Because wasn't Bill in that with... No, that was Graham Stark. Ah, right, so the, okay. The last, the last series of Star Bill was Graham Stark and Moira Lister. Right, okay. And it couldn't have been anything before that because... It was a um, 1955 film anyway, yeah, so... Yeah, 55 release. It was, I think it was uh, made in 54. Yeah, so that would have been that last series of Starbill because the series before that didn't have Moira. I think the series oh. before that had Geraldine McEwan. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. It did. But yeah, he, that's, a, uh, that's a, a lovely little um, reference because Bill is in the Dan Busters for about three minutes. He has a few uh. short scenes... Looks very sure. dashing. There's some lovely photographs of him in, in that, in, mm. in uniform. I mean, he, look, he really does look... Oh. does with his fake tash on. I was just going to say, he play he plays, uh, was it a wing commander or someone with initials after his name and, you know... Something what, like that. Some chap who's got bravery awards and things like that, you know. Typical British upper-class type. Does he do it with a British accent or an Aussie accent? Yeah, I think, you know, he's an Australian accent in that one. Oh, right, he is. I've got a question, but it's mm. moving away slightly from that. So when um, he says, oh, they're cheering me, aren't they? So they probably rec recognise you from the Radio Times. Do we know what issue, if he was in the Radio Times around that time and if he was unhappy with the photo or...? Because hey, he says it's un it says it's un he, he wouldn't recognise him from the photo yeah. that was in the Radio Times as if he wasn't very happy with what was in there. Oh, right. <laughs> That's a good question. Just what they've ever said. If we, if we know whether... If we could identify what issue of Radio Times that was, and if there was, a, if he was particularly unhappy with them. Hey, Bill! Look at all the people on the pavements. Thousands of them. I wonder who they're cheering. You! They recognised you. They must have seen your picture in the Radio Times. Oh, I didn't even recognise that myself. <laughs> hey, seem to like me though, don't they? That's strange. That bit of road blew up just behind us. <laughs> very bad, you know, very bad, that. Leaking gas mains with all these people about. <laughs> Somebody might get hurt. Wonder if Sid's all right. Well, he was on a few covers of the Radio Times in 54 and 55, I think, but... Um... There are other ones that obviously not the front cover image, but I can't think of any that look not like Tony. No, quite a few illustrations and cartoons, but interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. 
So it's, I thought it was also interesting it how we talked about Kenneth and Sid having quite big parts in this, but the other person who doesn't normally have a very big part has got more than usual is Alan Simpson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He has one of the best lines in the whole episode. He does. Absolutely, he does. He plays three different characters in this. So he's uh, an announcer at the airport at the over airport. the tannoy. That's right, um, yeah. He's one of the stagehands right near the end. He says, oh, it's Mr. Hancock, it's your turn to go on. But his best part, as you say, is where he's uh, soup matey, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, soup matey. Yeah. Oh, this must be a de- democracy, says Tony. Some of the finest hors d'oeuvre I ever crossed teeth with. <laughs> What's next, me good flunky? Soup, matey. Matey? Must be a democracy. No, thank you. I don't fancy the soup. Eat it. It's been prepared. Special. No, I don't think so. Sid, would you like some soup? Yeah, I'll have it. Give us it here. <laughs> Lovely, isn't it? Hello, Sid's gone again. Sid, get up, behave yourself. There's no way to show your disapproval of the soup. Rolling about the floor with a green face. It's been prepared. Special. 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 <laughs> uh, that is, by far and away, Alan's best little performing oh. role there, playing a, a villainous um, waiter. I love it. It really tickles me, just the way he does that line. It sounds very much like one of the Python sketches years later. Was it um, Palin or someone did something similar? Like I can't... Every time I hear Alan say that line, it, it takes me back to something else in uh, Python, but I can't quite put my finger on it. It definitely reminds me of um, another episode. I can't remember what it's called now, but it's Oi, Milk, Bun? What episode oh, was that? And a crane oh, yeah. like it. Yeah. And that one is the income tax demand, and that That's is it, Ray yeah. Gelton playing mm. that milk, oh, right. as I understand. Right. Yeah. 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 The few occasions that he did. He didn't often, but now and again. What a charming man. Thank goodness they're not all like him. Oi. Yes? Milk. Not today, thank you. Milk. You don't think I'll come round here for me elf, do you? All right, then I'll have half a pint. Half a pint? I ain't wandering round here in this weather for half a pint. Have a crate and like it. <laughs> All right, then. Fourteen and seven. And wash the bottles out when you're finished. Yes, he didn't do as many as, uh, as Alan. But, uh, yes, you're right. The soup line is, is, is probably his best line in any of the Hancock's half hours. What about the slipper barbs? <laughs> yes, the slipper barbs <laughs> in River Road. No, no, this is the drains in River Road, no, the, isn't it? Alan was the drains in River Road. Yeah, drains in and, River Road. And I love that one of Alan's because the way he says, "They smell." What do the drains in River Road? And, and every time <laughs> I hear that, I just fall about laughing. As you know, we have lagged sadly behind other barrels in our appreciation of the arts. When are you going to repair the slipper bars? <laughs> <laughs> Let him get on with it. You never use them. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we, as a committee, decided that something must be done to remedy this sad state of affairs. The question was, what? We repair the slipper bulb. Yes. And so we decided to sponsor a competition for our local sculptors to design a statue to grace our fair path. And what about the drains in River Road? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Why, please. 
Uh, the competition has been held, and today I will have great pleasure in presenting the cheque to the winner. A loyal citizen who has been a stalwart member of our community for many years and has been a great champion of the betterment of our cultural education in the borough. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, you may remember his other works of art. They smell! What do? The drains in River Road! <laughs> Please give the man a fair hearing. The man a fair hearing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good one. Well, and then I think it's, what, a third of the way in we get snide so fairly early. With nine minutes, uh, I made it. Quite early this time. Yeah. Yeah, quite early. So yeah. as as the uh, customs clerk, it's like, oh, he's like, so, no, I can't. I've lost me jork. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, then, but then Tony says in the snide voice, oh, I've lost me jork. Oh, oh, and that's not in the script, so we obviously just add that. Oh, is it yeah. not? That's oh. not in the script, but it's... it's I think it's... Yeah. It's great. Is a customs bloke not doing anything? Your boss is through. Ah, yes. Good morning, my man. My party's in a bit of a hurry. We're flying to Moravia. It's the only plane leaving today, and we must get there tonight. The plane leaves in a few minutes. All the other passengers are on, and they're just waiting for us. So I wonder if you could just mark our luggage and let us go straight through. Well, I can't. I've lost me chalk. <laughs> You lost it, you? Of course, it had to be you, didn't it? Now, come on, let's get through. We're in a hurry. It's always the same, isn't it? Everybody who comes up to me for customs inspection is in a hurry. I'm the slowest bloke in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> he used to do that occasionally, didn't he? Where he sort of repeated the line back at him in that sort of Mickey-taking, sing-songy way. He's like, "Have you read this notice?" Yes, beautifully written. Well written. Beautifully written. <laughs> beautifully yes. written. All right, all right. Now let's see. Have you read this notice? Yes, yes. Beautifully worded, isn't it? <laughs> now then, the first question: Have you got anything to declare? No. Oh, no, come on, you must have. <laughs> come on. Yeah, that's a, uh, a fun little bit. And then, of course, you've got the whole thing of uh, Bill being livestock in the trunk. Have you got any livestock in any of those suitcases? Well, uh, no, I... Your eyes flickered then. <laughs> I'm suspicious. Lord Fabian. <laughs> Do me a favour, just find your chalk and bang your marks on the plane will be going without us. No, I saw his eyes flicker. <laughs> that means I've got to make an examination. Oh. Come on now, open those cases. We haven't got time. Open those cases. But the plane will miss it. Open those cases. Oh, all right. There. Just as I thought, smuggling livestock out of the country. I beg your pardon, I'm not livestock. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously they end up taking Snide with them on the aeroplane and then we never hear from Snide yeah, again no. so just feel like he shoehorned them in a bit it's almost like they want yeah. to get their money's worth out of, um, out of him that day mm. Sid makes a reference to Fabian in, in that one as well and I think Hattie mentions Fabian in Hancock in the Police doesn't she Yes, because Fabian was um, a famous was it a television detective in the 50s I think he was yes yeah Fabian, yes, of, the Fabian of the Yard Yes. 
uh, comes up quite a few times who otherwise I would have never heard of. Uh, uh, the other thing I quite like as well is um, Bill sort of saying, uh, oh, I haven't got any clothes to take. Well, what about the pinstripes you're wearing? These are my yes. pyjamas. Yes, it's lovely, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> oh, William, you finished packing? No, this is terrible. I looked in the wardrobe and there's nothing there. I haven't got any clothes to take with me. What's wrong with the pinstripe you've got on? These are my pyjamas. <laughs> Well, that's all right. Put a crease down the front. Sling a camera around your neck, talk with an American accent. Nobody knows the difference. I had a crease down the front of them. You just look like one of them American tourists off the boat. I say it are tense. <laughs> but um, again, I don't know if you'd seen, looked at the, the script for this one, but, but Tony actually goes into a lot more detail about what he wants to, to take. There's quite an incredibly detailed list. He says, now let's see if I've got everything. 29 shirts, 83 pairs of socks, 22 pairs of shoes, 103 ties, 19 trilbies, 14 flat caps and a deer stalker, 10 pairs of spats, 9 pairs of plus fours, 3 sets of hunting pinks, 8 silk dressing gowns, 32 pairs of pyjamas, 16 bed caps, 14 lounge suits, 5 dinner suits, Three morning suits, fourteen overcoats, eighteen Macs, and a coat hanger. One coat hanger. Just want to almost say, and a partridge at the, in a pear tree at the end. Yeah, an incredibly long list. Because that relates to a subsequent joke that you get from from Kenneth as as the Baron of like you know if it wasn't for the spats plus fours, yes, Edwardian coat and Davy Crockett hat, I'd say he was the prince. You know, is, <laughs> I, I mean plus fours are those golfing trousers. I had to look that up because I didn't know, but that is um. An interesting choice of dress, shall we say. Ah, Mr. James, we meet again. I must congratulate you. I've seen this man Hancock. It is remarkable. If I did not know Prince Ferdinand was under guard, locked up in the castle, I would say that was him standing there. Only the dress gives him away. The prince would never wear spats with his plus four, the Edwardian coat, <laughs> and a Davy Crockett hat. <laughs> but otherwise, he is quite perfect. Has anyone noticed the similarity with the sort of general way this episode goes to to the Matador? Because that they both mm. they're both quite serious crimes by Sid. Because basically, Sid doesn't care if Hancock gets killed, does he? Really? I mean, in in the Matador, he's palming him off to you know to be a bullfighter yeah. with not much chance of coming out alive. And in this one, he's sending him to pose for a prince on the basis that people would be chucking bombs at him and stuff like that. I mean, Sid doesn't know that he's going to cop it all. But, um, you know, he... So they're both quite serious cons by, by Sid. And when yes. um, Hancock is being driven from the airport and, and the crowds are cheering his name, he thinks, oh, they've recognised me, you know. I'm, and, and then it's a bit like in the Matador when they're cheering him because they think he's English Matador and he thinks it's because they think he's a comedian. Um, yeah, and it's the same. It's the same. It's the same sort of general thing, isn't it? Where he's uh, and he's he's saluting the crowd and stuff like that, and and then he ends up doing something else. Yeah, it is very similar. But I, I love the fact that uh, the crowd also call out, uh, "All hail the prince!" All hail, all the, hail prince. the prince! And then the joke, of course, is is, is Prince Littler, who was of course uh, an impresario and TV mm, yeah. exec and theatre proprietor of the day. But as I, I think, as very clever to have used. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Prince Littler is in, in, that, yeah, in yeah. that way in the script. Well, you're the prince. What are they talking about? They can't mean me. 
Sid told me this had happened. They mean the producer, Prince Littler. He's put the money up for the show. I say. Marvellous audiences, aren't they? It'll be a good show tomorrow if they're as keen as this. Mentioned in the Cinderella, I think. Prince Littler and an eagle or something like that, I think. Yeah, Prince was his was his name, wasn't he? He Ooh. wasn't a prince. Prince was his no, first that was name. just his name. Yes, yeah. just his yeah. name. Yes. Yeah. The other interesting thing, as you mentioned, with regard to the matador, in the matador, Tony manages to win the bull fight because the bull's head gets stuck in the wood, doesn't it? Yes, and yeah. sort of, you know, somehow miraculously survives, and so he gets one over Sid, really, doesn't he? Yeah. So he, he comes out all right out of that one yeah. as well. Yeah, the sort of companion episodes. I mean, the other yeah. interesting thing is, well, I didn't really notice it until I was listening to it, is that all the incidental music are not Angela Morley's compositions. It's, I presume, bits of the musical score from the film, the non-singing bits. I, I believe so. Gives it a different flavour. There's a couple of Angela Morley bits, but Ugh. most of it is, as you say, is bits from the film. There, there was two main songs, I think, that, that from the film. The first one was the drinking song. Drink, 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 drink. 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 But which you just yeah. hear a few bars off at the beginning. And the other one that Hancock starts to sing is called Serenade. And, yeah. and that's the one where instead of saying, fill in the air with dreaming, he says, fill in the air with shrapnel. Shrapnel. Yes. You know, slightly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a wonderful bit. I think they want me to do a turn for them. I'll stand up and give them a song. Overhead, the moon is big. <laughs> White like blossom. Did you hear something? Yes, yeah, Sid's having trouble with his car again. He's blown a gasket. Oh, yes, well, he didn't put any water in the radiator, I'll bet. Oh, well. White like blossoms on the bow. Nothing is heard but the. Rather <laughs> bad. Feeling all the air with. <laughs> Shrapnel! And then he changes it to filling the air with music when he's in the Chatham Empire at the end, doesn't he? Well, you're talking about empires as well, as, as uh, when, when Andre comes in as his wife. The empires of, oh, how you must have travelled, visiting all the empires. Yes, you know, the empire of this and the, all the theatres, yeah. of course, rather yeah. than yes. yeah. So that's a, yeah. a nice little bit. Or is it Glasgow Empire, Finsbury Park Empire yeah. and Chiswick Empire? How you've uh-huh. travelled the world, the, all the empires of the world. It's lovely. You and I together. I haven't seen you for so long. Well, that's your fault, I I was at Glasgow Empire last week. Yeah. <laughs> Finsbury Park Empire, a week out. Chiswick Empire. Oh, how you must have travelled these last weeks. The empires of the world. <laughs> but at the time of this recording, he hadn't done an empire show for ages, or indeed, because he was tied up with uh, the, the Jimmy Edwards thing for a long time. Was that talk of the town, that one? Or was that no, the... it's the fir- it was the first one. Uh, Talk London of the Town Laughs. was the second one. It was London Laughs and London then Talk Laughs. of the Town. Yes. But he spent quite a long time in those two shows, and consequently he, he went some time without actually doing a, a theatre tour that he'd, he'd done previously. Yeah, thinking about the shows, and um, he and his wife in the episode, a little bit cut from the script, um, is that uh, 
he thinks that they should go on tour together. And it is another reference to Dolly. Um, oh. And she said, uh, says that they, that they should go touring as Hancock and Dolly. <laughs> so there we go. There's another. Oh. There's a favourite name of um, um, of Ray and Alan. And yeah. I don't know if we've mentioned it, but we found out, and I can't remember if it was on social media somewhere, that the real name of Steptoe's horse in That's the right. colour yeah. series yeah. was also the real name was Dolly. So yeah. there's a lot of mm. Dolly connections with uh, mm. with Ray and Alan. Mm. But that that wasn't the, the horse was the horse's real name, wasn't it? That was the horse's real name. Yeah, and, not and the name in the series. And they changed it to Delilah or something in Delilah. the series. There was Delilah was the, in there. Yeah, because yeah. Hercules, yeah. the first horse, died. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. And of course, Andre manages to give such a wonderful performance as uh, Princess Katerina. Oh, she does, doesn't uh, she? A real femme fatale. Because she doesn't have a lot in this program, does she? In this episode, no. she. She she has a line at the start, and then it's just the bit as the wife, but she does it so well. Well, similarly in the Blackboard Jungle, she gets to stretch her role and play a bit of a, uh, yeah. a sort of a seductress, doesn't she? And she's well, very good at it. Yeah, um, well. You know, she plays this sort of sweet little Andre character, but she had quite a bit of range. I mean, I I I love the bit where um she she says, "You think I don't know about you and Princess Gladys of Schleswig-Holstein?" You've humiliated me enough, you and your sordid court intrigues. You didn't think I knew about you and Princess Gladys of Schleswig-Holstein, did you? I've never met the woman. I love the, that as well. Gladys. <laughs> Princess Gladys. Gladys comes up a few times, doesn't it? Yes, and, uh, that's another favourite name. Yes. When Sid's yeah. describing, you know, oh, you know, she's got silken hair and a voice of beauty. Oh, yeah, but what's her name? Gladys. Gladys. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, no, and, and Andre is absolutely brilliant in that section of the show, isn't she? And the timing, the timing of she's dropped the bomb to Sid, of course, walking in. Rolls so, across what the, the floor. hell? What, what's, yeah. going what's going on here on? then? <laughs> what's going on here then? Boom. Boom. It's too late, Ferdinand. The pin is out. We have ten seconds to live. Princess Katarina. You, Baron von Klappersburg. Yes. Did I? I overheard everything. You are under arrest. You will never take me. I have this bomb. One step nearer. That! She's dropped the bomb! It's rolling across the floor. Look out! It stopped us by the door. Quick! Everybody duck! Take cover! Hey, what's going on in here? I like at the uh, start where they first landed, they get on, on the parade. Because you were in the front car, I'm in the back with my tin hat. Yeah, the tin hat. Now, yeah. interestingly, the tin hat isn't in the script. Oh, really? Oh, right. Mm. <laughs> there are quite a few little extra bits added. It really, I feel that line really sets up the whole episode. Yeah. For... It was perfect, wasn't it? Let us go. Our six royal cars are over there. Hancock will be in the front one wearing the prince's uniform. Right. I'll be in the back one wearing a tin helmet. <laughs> Good luck. I'll see you at the palace. Farewell. All set, Sid? Yeah, the cars are waiting. We're all driving up to the Royal Palace. The Royal Palace? Yeah. It's, uh, well, it's the hotel we're staying at. I think in this earlier, in these earlier series, I think maybe they, because, I don't know, it was newer to them and stuff, maybe they rehearsed a little bit more and would ad-lib a little bit more in, in them. And then Possibly. later series just stuck to the script because radio was not the de rigueur thing. They wanted to be, you know, television and movie stars. I wonder if, I mean, I've not really looked and compared it. I wonder if Ryan Allen overwrote more in the earlier years because they were getting into their stride. Uh, as I say, there's quite a lot in this script that um, didn't make the final cut. There's a hell of a lot. 
you look at the first night party, the first ever script, and that script uh, I know because I record, made my friends record a version of it with me, um, put all the sound effects in, but it runs to about 42 minutes or 40 minutes. It's uh, It would be a lot longer if, it, if they had all that bits in. I don't think this one would be far short of that. I think we said that earlier, didn't yeah. we? But uh, yeah, quite a long, quite a long episode. They really do shoehorn a lot in, don't they? Like I they said, really like, do. We mentioned the the slide characters really. It's quite it's quite quick, quite rapid, really. How they wrap that up, and then you just never see them yep. again. No, he came in. Does he really speak. no need for him to be on the blade at all? You almost expect him to drive the plane or something. It yeah. almost feels like the episode's going to end there at that point. It almost feels like that could be a story itself. Or a sketch yeah, itself. If they, if they yeah, spent yeah. a little bit, if they took it a little bit more time with it, but obviously you got the whole second half of the story to come at that point. And just as well, that bit wasn't done on telly because they'd obviously got Bill and Snide in the in the. Yeah, country. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another great bit is uh, is where he's, he's you know it's like you know he thinks Princess Katerina is mad. Um, he's like, oh well, you know, don't know what this is. I'll have her thrown out in a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not on for a couple of hours. She's That's done a bit right. of uh, love making, as it were. When they told me you'd gone on holiday and wouldn't be back till the coronation, I thought I'd die. Kiss me, kiss me. She's down bonkers. <laughs> I'll have her thrown out in a couple of hours, Don. Oh, oh, the six children have missed you. Hello, that's quick. But because when um, when he first sees her, he doesn't like her because he says, "I think you've made a mistake." The bull rings down the road. Yeah, because yeah. uh, is it Frederick, the name of the character of the prince? Yes. Yeah. For, no, Ferdinand. 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 Yeah. Yes. So obviously, he doesn't think much of her when he first sees her. Ferdinand, at last you come back to me, Ferdinand, oh Ferdinand. <laughs> I think you made a mistake. The bull rings down the road. <laughs> oh, Ferdinand, kiss me. Thank you very much. Very kind of you. Have we met? You always expect him to turn on the charm because, oh, you know, when he does his, uh, when there's yeah. a, a lady, you almost expect him to turn that charm on, but. Yeah. Instead, he thinks he's doing his open-air theatre and she's just some nutter. <laughs> uh, but it goes on to say, of course, that he's not seen any real royalty in all the tours that he's done around all the empires. He's just, the only royalty he's known is on What's My Line. Yes, well, yeah. <laughs> I've never met the woman. The only royalty I know are on What's My Line. <laughs> you ruined me for the last time. Which is another reference to... Um... TV show, which was um, Eamon Andrews, wasn't it? Well, no, there was a particular female royal. Lady Isabel Barnett. Was it La- Lady Double Lady Docker or something? No, was that La- La- no, uh, Lady Isabel Barnett was the one who was in What's My Line, but she wasn't royalty. She, uh, I think, I think she was. I say only she was a lady because her husband was knighted, right? And uh, so she. Oh, it was a, dire- a reference to her then, rather I, than. Well, I, I, I couldn't think of anyone else royalty yeah. for for What's My Line or anyone. You know, for example, Prince Littler, someone who's not really royalty, but is a joke, you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. think of anyone. I just thought he was referring to, you know, the stars of the day as being royalty, but uh, you're probably right. right that it's actually right. a reference to someone specific. Yeah. 
Again, if any listener knows, please let yeah. us know. Yeah. And he plays wonderfully as well, doesn't he? The the struggling actor who's not very good. You know, he says, he says at one point, I can't keep putting up, I think this boy's be good, sign mum outside the BBC. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the big day. The grand opening. I hope they like me. What sort of notices I'll get? It's about time I had some good ones. I can't keep putting up, I think this boy's good, sign mum outside broadcasting us. <laughs> I think there's a similar joke about the windmill theatre in one of the other episodes for one of his notices is... Uh, Something like that. And he goes on, uh, one other bit that's not, uh, not again in the episode, he, uh, one of the uh, the servants, I guess, calls Hancock Your Majesty, to which he says to Sid, he called me Your Majesty. And Sid returns by saying, well, that's the theatre you're playing in, His Majesty's. And Tony says, but I thought it was going to be outside in the open air. And he says, ah, they're taking the roof off. And of course, like after all of this karma that comes back to Sid for trying to twist Hancock and you know get him assassinated, he actually does. I think it must be virtually the only time he ever actually sets up a proper theatrical job as Tony's agent in the occasions that he plays his agent. Yes, yes. And of course, the one time he tries to do something good, he also gets shot um, (laughs) walking behind the stage. My only regret is that I didn't get the chance of playing the student prince out there after all. I was so looking forward to it. Never mind, Tub. You've got your chance tonight. Yeah, I, I thought it over. And the least I could do was to fix you to this really nice date. In fact, I've never seen the Chatham Empire so crowded. 2,000 sailors and marines out there waiting for you. Yep. The first appearance of Tony Hancock in musical comedy, The Student Prince. It was very good of you to fix it for me, Sid. At least it'll be a bit different to Moravia. I, I won't have to worry about bombs and bullets halfway through this performance. Go on, Mr. Hancock. Go on, Tub. Go out there and make musical history. And me and Sid will watch from the wings. Well, doesn't he do it in um, The Impressionists? He obviously has a lot of uh, gigs oh, around yeah, the country, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a couple of, but He wants generally... him back on doing the circuit again. Get your, clown, get your big feet on. Get your clown, is it your clown yeah, feet on? Yeah, go out You're and right earn in. some loot. Go out and earn some loot, yeah. yeah. Love that. There's a TV episode, isn't it, where he's he's got him standing outside of takeaways. Takeaways. Dressed up yep. in, you know, he's like a member of the Five Tolls or something from standing <laughs> outside the Chinese. And then when he gets, um, when he uh, gets little geeks for him, when he's uh, in the knighthood, when he's playing Shakespeare, of course, it's, it's just in little local pubs. Yeah, 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 he saw, yeah, I suppose he does get him some sort of proper jobs there. And of course, the... The, the the brilliant job he gets in in the Spanish interlude where he's a bit like the matador, he's going to be a bullfighter. Well, yeah. But I do I do I mean this episode I think is really canters along at such a speed, doesn't it? Well, As you say, there is so much in it. I, I do think it's one of the most joyous episodes. Actually, it's it's mm. such good such good fun. It's very upbeat, isn't it? And I I really incredibly in- upbeat. A rollicking yarn. I do enjoy mm. uh, how. Golden Simpson, they've got a real formula where if there's something iconic of that day, i.e. a film or some sort of show or something going on in the world at that time, they really do latch onto that and just sort of try to take all of the ideas from that and implement it in a show. I think it's really clever. Gives them something to peg it on, doesn't it? Yeah, of course, um, and it really ties into real life and you can almost run his actual, you know, what he he is as a, a radio He's got his own radio show. It really runs along parallel to his life, and I really enjoy that. There's the episode where he um, 
goes to join the Foreign Legion, isn't it? And and yeah. uh, uh, he, he thinks he's going to entertain the troops abroad. Uh, and... I think doesn't he? Doesn't he think he's going to play? Oh God, what's that film? Um, Bojest. That's <laughs> right. He thinks he's doing Bojest. Yes, but, but that episode was actually recorded when Hancock was flown back from entertaining the troops in the Mediterranean, especially uh, to record that uh, episode. So um, he was well, out Well, he had there. all these inoculations, hadn't he? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He was out there with the troops, and they flew him back to London for the show, then he flew back out there again. So, uh, But it's a bit like uh, we talked in Fred Spicestall in the last podcast about how the comedy reflected the the era of the day so yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the people listening at the time would have would have got that yeah. local reference and it's the same with this as you say back to the the 54 film come over if it's just before or just after Anna and the King of Siam which is a spoof of the King and I film that was I believe out at around about that sort of time of course the ballet visit which was um lampooning the, the Bolshoi ballet visit so well, they did this a lot well, and they took well, national they, uh, events that were happening and then converted them into into this incredible comedy. Similar thing with the Crater Mass theme. Well, yes, right? the horror yeah, series. Rail strikes yeah, and, and Blackboard Jungle. Prime Minister Hancock. Petrol rationing. Yeah, yeah. the Blackboard Jungle. That's and a big then, one, course, isn't it? And the, the, the little, the little 10-minute sketch for the Commonwealth Games in 1958 called Welcome yeah. to London. Um, yeah. it's, it's all reflecting of the sort of the, the current environment, which I... I, I guess we can look back and we can learn so much about the 50s from that, but for the audiences of the day, it was just reflecting real life back to well, them, which I, well, I guess would have even heightened the, the humour. Yeah. Not another episode of Mandy, which features uh, the Who Do You Think You Are team and confusion over oh, no, that, I, which you've got to Don't come say too yet. much. I, I haven't got to you. that one yet. Deborah Meaden's that very one. good. So so this is a circular script then, because we've gone back to Mandy again. We have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, that's it, a circular podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the only other line in this that's really good is when Sid is talking to the Baron. He's, uh, you know, he's all, oh, I'm just recovering. Don't worry, every time I cross the road, I'm going to le- look left, right, up and down from now on, which is uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lovely, uh, lovely little visual image. Ah, Mr. James, I trust you are feeling better now. Who is it? Oh, it's you. Hey, Ambassador, I can just see you through the chink of my bandages. <laughs> oh, my head. I'm certainly earning your 20,000 nicker. Never mind, it's all in the good cause. Our enemies have not succeeded yet. Well, I better hurry up. I can't take much more. <laughs> but we must still be on guard. They will stop at nothing to get rid of the prince. So I noticed. They won't get me anymore. I'm being extra careful now. Every time I cross the road, I look left, right, up and down. <laughs> Nothing more is going to happen to me. Don't you worry. Yeah, it's brilliant. And in a little nod to the Matador where um, he says, oh, the, your picture's in the paper. Um, he says, oh, it's, it's the one with the black border on. In a bit that, again, is cut from the script. He says, if the venture's a success, you'll become the national hero of Moravia. Why, when you're dead, they'll probably put a statue up to you. <laughs> And Tony says, oh, do you think so? And Sid says, yeah, they're getting the stones ready already. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess then it's uh, probably about time for the scores. So uh, what do you think you're going to give that one, Martin? I wouldn't have said this was my favourite, but it's been a favourite of my er- of the early series, if you like, mm. for many, many years. I've always loved this because it is such a, a riotous ride from start to finish. And the fact that Sid gets his comeuppance is just incredible. Um, fantastic performances from all of the cast, including 
people like Alan who don't normally have very much to do. Mm. Um, and the um, Made Your Soup special line from him is just brilliant. Andre as Katerina. Ken as some... Um, uh, no, I've forgotten who he is. Baron von Klappersberg. Ba- Baron von Klappersberg. Couldn't remember his name. Uh, <laughs> I just, you know, it, it all just works so well and it runs along at such a, a rollicking speed. Um, so I... I don't normally score the earlier episodes quite so highly, but for this one, I'm going to give a nine. I just, I just love this one from start to finish. Well, um, I think that series three is fairly underrated. I think there's lots of mm. really good episodes. I really enjoyed some of the less popular ones, like the pet dog and uh, the test match and things like. I really enjoy those oh, episodes. Yeah. Test match is brilliant too. The blackboard jungle that was relatively recently discovered i would say in the last what 15 years or so 2005 yeah. yeah and i remember when that came out i just really enjoyed it It made me really revisit series three the ones that were available and i feel that this one just fits perfectly into that series completely it slots in there's a real theme to these to the series three i think it, it feels like they're all quite similar like say you've got the blackboard jungle where they have replicated a film and sort of piggybacked the storyline from that and I really enjoyed it. Like I say, it's really, really fast-paced. I think they've struggled to get it in in the allotted time. I think mm. that Kenneth Williams is shoehorned in as the snide character. Uh, it's almost feels like, well, let's just... It does feel like let's just rush him in there. I really, really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to give it an eight. I don't think it's as strong as the, the classic ones like last week like when we did the Fred Pie store and obviously mm. the Blood Donor. There's obviously many, many perfect scripts, which I feel are a lot better. Still really, really enjoyable and a good solid eight for me. See, I think, um, I think I'm going to go for a nine and a half myself because, as you say, it's a rollicking story. There's a lot to squeeze into the episode. It's quite madcap. It's a wonderful sort of criminal plot. You know, Kenneth as the Baron, Andre as, as the Princess, and um, Alan as the uh, villainous assassin slash waiter really get to have a, a great deal of fun and, and Sid gets to have a great deal of fun I think being the victim um, and moaning and in pain you know which he, he doesn't often get to do he's, he's often the wise cracking guy who comes out on top so um, yeah nine and a half I think is a good one for a, what is a, a, just a very funny episode with lots of lots of little moments like the Dan Buster's Mickey take and things that, that crop up yep. in these yep. brilliant stuff well I think this is uh, certainly not my favourite episode, but I think it's one of those episodes that we've we've experienced on podcasts before, where once you listen to them critically to, and listen to them a few times in preparation for the podcast, you actually think, yeah, that that's quite good. So, whereas it wouldn't be one I'd have gone to out of choice before, I think it is quite good for an early episode. I mean, as you guys have said, you know, the script bounces along and it does. It's one of these fast-paced episodes. And there are several others in that category. You know, when you look at The Wild Man in the Woods and Hancock in the Police, and they're very fast-paced. When you compare them to last week's Fred Pistol, for example, you know, when you sort of listen to these episodes side by side, you can, you can see that the whole thing of Hancock had moved on considerably and the whole pace of it had changed as things slowed down as, as it went along. But it's a, it's a great script. I think um, the points alone go for Alan Simpson for his, for his line <laughs> on... Uh, uh, yep. <laughs> Sorry, Soup. I can't remember what it was. Soup. Yes. Made it special. Oh, yeah. It's been prepared special. Special. Yeah. 
special. I mean, that that is just superb. And Andre, she doesn't get an awful lot in this, does she? She she gets a bit early on, and then uh, she she gets her bit as as the wife. But she does that wife bit brilliantly. And of course, mm. the icing on the cake is is getting us come up on seven times mm. or however many times it is. And I think by the time this episode went out. People are used to Sid's character and used to him twisting Hancock. And I think it would have been quite a novelty at the time for the audience to hear him uh, getting his cup up and like this. And, it, and it's done in lovely cartoon fashion where he keeps getting blown up. But of course, he's, he walks away and he's back with in just five a concussion later. or a broken yes. leg or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it's real sort of Tom and Jerry stuff. But, uh, but it's fine. I think the story is a little bit contrived, but um, in these sort of fast-paced episodes, I think they have to be. But um, so I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed listening to it in preparation for the podcast and uh, all the things I said. I'll, uh, I think I, I can give it an eight. So it's an average sort of eight and three quarters, I suppose, overall. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good one because they have a really good audience that really get the comedy and really giggle away quite a bit in this yeah. one. And I think that adds to your enjoyment if they're a bit flat. The audience are certainly well up yeah. for it, aren't they? Absolutely. Oh, without right. a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Without yeah. Doubt. yeah. From from the moment I think one of you guys said earlier about the uh, the audience twigging fairly early on what's gonna happen in the opening scene when the Baron is talking to Sid and uh, you know, they're look they're looking for someone gullible and fat and walks like a flat footed duck. Flat-footed mm. duck, duck Flat, and all yeah, that, but, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. and the audience, uh, the audience are there with them, and from that moment, you know, it's just non-stop, isn't it? Uh, They're five pages of script ahead, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're <Yeah>. out down. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, eight and three quarters is uh, slightly more than the body's worth of points. So uh, I think that's about it for this week. So if you want to take it away, Tim. <laughs> Why not join us in the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society? You can find us at tonyhancock.org.uk for all the information you need on how to join. For just £13 a year, you'll have access to the members area of our website and receive four magazines a year by email packed with information on Tony, his shows and archived material. Members also get a digital-only bonus pages supplement every quarter. Or you can have full-colour printed copies posted to your door for just £16 a year in the UK, or £26 worldwide. And we're a friendly and welcoming bunch, so please do join. We have reunion events with archive displays, guest speakers, and special screenings. Please do get in touch. We'd love questions, conundrums, and feedback. To do so is very easy. Send your emails to podcast at tonyhancock.org.uk. Keep an eye on our Twitter accounts for the latest news on the podcast and all things Hancock. Our Twitter accounts, uh, sorry, our X accounts are <laughs> East Team Lad, Tony Hancock Appreciation Society, and Very Nearly an Armful. In the next episode, we'll be reviewing Cinderella Hancock from the first radio series and the oldest surviving festive episode. For now, that's Very Nearly an Armful, so I'll say ta ta. It's Sayonara from me, Chickadee Stitch, and this is DRK London closing down for a quick cough and a drag. Right, who's for a bowl of soup? I've prepared it. <laughs> Special. Special. Special? <laughs> this has been an official podcast of the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. Unfortunately, it was not written by Alan Simpson and Ray Gordon, whoever they are. The announcer was me, Robin Sebastian, currently appearing in the saloon bar of the Hendon Racket. 
I had, Another good one, I had rolling. Scottish broth for my dinner today. I had soup, especially for <laughs> no, not especially for it. I just happened to. I was like, oh, I'll get some And soup. how how are you feeling, John? You all right? Well, my face turned green and rolled round on the floor, but after that, I was fine. 